Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we make the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yuggera people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made, and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognise their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders, past, present and emerging, for keeping this sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up. From as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from, and if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There's a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery and equine communication, human and horse relationship building. Peter has actually had communication with my mare Gypsy, who's the one you see in the podcast picture with me, and he was spot on about everything, so I can highly recommend his work personally. You'll find the links to Peter's work in the show notes. It's a crazy time for us all at the moment with social distancing and mandatory isolation in some countries. I thought the least I could do was to bring you some of your favourite episodes again. Be inspired by the stories of these amazing people and know that wherever you are and whatever you are going through, this too shall pass. Angela Davidson is one of those people who has lived her entire life around horses She's had times without them, but they just keep finding her again. She grew up in England riding show jumpers in competition and after moving to Australia became one of our first ever female licensed jockeys. That in itself would be an amazing podcast story, don't you think? After seven years of riding, she decided to give back to horses in some way and she has spent the rest of her life doing just that. Angela is the horse herbalist. She has thousands of cases of horses that she's helped with her hair testing that took her seven years to develop. She developed this to be able to treat the whole horse, not just the symptom. When she talks about the hair test, you might think it's a far stretch for the brain to believe it could possibly work. Until, that is, you hear about the length of time she has been doing the work and the stories of the horses that she has helped, including my own horses. When someone has such evidence-based results over so many years, I find it hard not to believe it could work. Angela is another one of those people who is passionate about what she does. And when she gets a thank you from a horse after a treatment or hears from an owner that their horse has had a positive recovery, it fills her heart with joy and she knows that her methods and treatments are sound. Angela is at an age now where she would love to share her knowledge. So, If you haven't listened to this interview and it sparks something inside of you, and I mean in you, 
as something that you'd like to learn and do as a career path for yourself, get in touch with Angela as her hair test is completely unique and can't be taught to you by anyone other than her. Anyone who's already an equine herbalist or willing to study it would be perfect for the role. I wonder, could that be you? This episode is a bit longer than the last couple as Angela has led a long and full life and I just had to give this interview the time it deserved. Here is Angela. Welcome Angela, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Can you explain to me please, first of all, what is a horse herbalist? Okay, well, I can only talk for myself as to what a horse herbalist is. So as a horse herbalist, I treat horses with herbal medicine and flower remedies and sometimes homeopathics. And what is a herbal remedy? What is a herbal remedy? Is it, do I go and pick herbs out of the garden and do I feed it to my horse or, or does it come in a liquid form? Is it a tablet uh, form that I buy from the chemist? Okay, good question. As a qualified classical herbalist, I am a medical herbalist, so I use practitioner-only grade um, extracts. So, no, it's quite a different thing to going and purchasing dried herbs, but dried herbs are fine if you, um, you know, if you want to give a nutritional therapeutic, and certainly they're very useful in that field. But as a as a practicing medical herbalist, I only use I only use very high grade human extracts and tinctures. This way, I can I you know I know what I can expect uh, as a result, and of course, getting to the core of the problem an awful lot quicker than if I was if I was just sort of using dried herbs. And is that about potency? Uh, yes, certainly it's about potency. One would, um, you know, I know exactly what I can expect using the medicines that I do. Um, I know because they have been through all the same regulations that that um, drugs go through I and they're standardised. So I know exactly what I'm getting and I know the therapeutic value of, of what I'm using. Whereas with dried herbs there's there's actually no regulatory process at all because they're all regarded as nutritionals so of course what can come along with that is adulteration so you're not actually getting what it is you think getting and of course variable therapeutic value because you know a herb can be grown in in one climate and it's got a lot of therapeutic value but it can be grown in another climate and it has very little therapeutic value so this is why if you're buying dried herbs uh, you really need to buy them from a reputable source whereas practitioners they're using extracts that you know they've got traceability and they're standardized and you know that you just don't have that sort of problem and of course you know we're looking at we're looking at speed you know if you're treating a horse that's sick or it's a competition horse you know you really need to be using the best therapeutic herbs that you can in the in the manner that you do so you can get you can get you know a pretty speedy resolution to whatever's going on that's great Angela and right now I'm going to come back to the herbalism but first I'd like to backtrack a little bit and you seem to have an English accent. Were you born over in England? I certainly was, yes. Born in the uh, northeast of, of England in a small village. And 
of course we had horses horses all around the village farms it was you know farming country so yes brought up in a re- very rural atmosphere so you were with horses from a young age did you ride at a young age so I sat on my first horse when I was three and uh, yes was absolutely just enamored with horses from from then on really so yes I think I was quite a pest you know so um so all the farm horses, I have photos of me as a very tiny person sitting on great big shaggy sort of shire horses. <laughs> and then I was lucky enough that my father bought me um, a little pony called Queenie, who he bought from a dealer as a 12-year-old pony. And I was absolutely mortified when when she died two years later. Queenie never used to go. I used to have to lay trails of um, trails of bread and carrots. And for some reason, I couldn't get on her to lead her along this trail. So I'd lead her along this trail and then I'd jump on as she turned around to come home. So they were the only rides I had actually with her when I jumped on and she'd try and kick me. Smart, <laughs> you know. <laughs> jump on and try and kick me. Yeah, they were, and and she, and she trot and try and make me fall off. So we didn't have a huge amount of riding, but I was still absolutely mortified when she did die mm. two years later. And the attending vet just said he was astonished. He'd never seen such an old mouse in his life. He estimated her age to be at least 38. Wow, that's a bit different to 12 or 14. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think my dad got a bit done by the dealer, but um, but never mind. Yeah, look, I was very lucky as a child because, of course, there were horses, hunters all around the place. There were farm horses all around the place. So, yes, I just pestered everybody and anybody to just get on their horse and then I went to boarding school I was sent away to boarding school when I was 10 and I was very lucky from the age of about 11 and a half I spent all my holidays in Nottinghamshire in a breaking in show jumping stable so that's probably when my real learning started you know at that age in 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 the village when I when I was just a a, a wee small person We had gypsies that used to come and camp on the village green for six to eight weeks. And, you know, of course, we're always told that, yeah, you you don't talk to the gypsies or anything else, you know. Poor old gypsies, Romanies have have always had a bad name. I don't know why. Anyway, I found them absolutely fascinating because I would see them when they'd come back from the the horse sales. We had quite a number of local horse sales. And I'd see them come back from the horse sales with these really poor, poor looking, shocking looking horses. And they'd bring these horses back. And I would see them in in, in, in a turnaround time of, four to six weeks, those horses would look absolutely brilliant. You, you know, you just wouldn't know they were the same horse. That's a short amount of time, four to six it's weeks. a really short amount of time. And they used to go out in the hedgerows. They had, uh, it sounds like the old witch's cauldron, but that's what it was like. They had fires with a great big pot. They, they would be putting all sorts of herbs in there and they'd collect a lot of the herbs from just, you know, going out of the village in the hedgerows because this was before wide use of poisons, you see. So they'd collect herbs which grew, oh, so it was just a plethora of herbs that grew in, in, in the ditches and in the hedges. I mean, I used to spend a lot of time in there. It was really exciting. And so they'd collect, they'd collect herbs and they'd collect flowers and they'd, 
brew things up and, and give them to the horses. And as I say, it always imprinted on me just the, the, the power that they had there and just seeing the results that they got. And then really that sort of, you know, that was a dormant thought in, in, in my brain for a long time, but it certainly came back full force much later in my life. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, it's such a great picture yes. of English hedgerows and gypsies. It, wow, it's, it's stuff of storybooks, that is. Back to show jumping for a moment. How far were you able to go as a show jumper? Is that something you took on competitively? Uh, yes, most certainly once I stopped falling off and, and having a few, you know, bones broken and what have you yes I, I became I became fairly proficient I did ride on the junior jump circuit um, because yeah of course I was still a junior at that stage and I did ride for well, we had a number of good jump ponies at the stable that I was attached to and they also trained and I rode for a company called British Rope so I was lucky enough to ride British Rope jump jump horses jump ponies as well yeah that was fabulous we were on the circuit so it gave me a really good you know a really good look at, at the whole jumping scene and certainly uh, you know I really really enjoyed that I did go and work once I left school I did go and work for an international jump stable because at that stage that had been the plan was work for an international stable and, you know, work in, in the continent with, with them. And of course, you know, doing that, you did get to ride the second string, so to speak. But I actually had a really bad accident when I worked for those people. I got really badly kicked. So that was, that sort of laid me out for I probably lost about nine months then. And in that time, I decided that, uh, um, yes, I might go to Australia to see my father who was living over here who I hadn't seen for a long time. So I thought I'd just come and see my father and have a look at Australia and have a look around and then go back to England. But in fact, I came to Australia and thought, oh, I think this could be the place. I think I'll, I'll, I'll be staying here for a while. And so here I am many, 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 many years later. Hmm. We're lucky to have you. And so what did you do when you first got to Australia? Did you get straight back into horses? How did that play out? Um, didn't get immediately back into horses. I, I did do some other sort of work with um, in the music industry, actually. Did that for a wee while, but then horses, again, they just always beckon you in your life, you know, so you can't sort of really stay away for too long. So that happened and I, I, I went to Sydney Showground and, and started a business adjusting horses there. And, you know, I rode the naughty horses and what have you. And then at that time, I actually went round to Tommy Smith's then breaker, who was John Drennan. So this is the racing industry. I went there because Stephen Jeffries, a friend of mine, had given me a lift into town while my car was, was in the garage. So, of course, when I got to the breakers, you know, they just said, oh, look at the size of you, you know, do you want to have a ride? Have you ever thought about riding racehorses? And I said, How tall are you? <laughs> I, I am over five foot, Tracy. I am ah. five foot and five-eighths of an inch. <laughs> Brilliant. So ju you really are just that right height. I, yes, I am, yes. So, of course, um, I said, no, I actually thought racing was, was cruel. I didn't want to know about racing. And the second day, you know, same thing happened. They said, are you, gonna, you know, do you want to have a ride? And, 
again, I said no, but I did ask if I could actually look at the horses because I'd cast my eyes down the rows of beautiful looking heads coming out of these stables. So, of course, they were all the babies that, that would have been bought through the sale so they were in there they were in there for breaking and there was just such quality and just such lovely heads yeah so I, I looked at the horses and then on the way home this this guy says oh you couldn't ride race horses you'd get yourself killed so of course that that put me on my next path in life didn't it you know I can't have someone saying things like that I did go and start uh, that, that yes I was offered a job because I had nice hands and he couldn't pay me much, but he'd be happy to teach me how to ride how to ride racehorses and youngsters. And for any of us who don't know what nice hands are, what does that mean? What does that mean? Hands that are responsive and respect the fact that you've actually got a horse's mouth on the end of your hand. So no pull with hands, kick with feet kind of thing. No, so so you need to be very responsive. I mean, that's your channel of communication physically with the, with the horse. That's your first channel of communication with the horse's mouth. So, you know, if you're going to pull on a horse's mouth, the horse is just going to pull back or it's going to get a fright or all those sort of things. And, of course, these were babies that were being broken in. So it was absolutely essential that when they left Johnny Drennan's stables to go to the main stable at Tommy Smith's, that they had very good mouths. Now, a good mouth can be wrecked in, as any horse person will tell you, a good mouth can be wrecked in, in you know, a few bad rides. But um, yeah, so that was how that was how I got a job there. That's how I started off there was because I had nice hands, but of course I hadn't ridden in any of those you know little saddles with with your legs up around your ear holes. So really, I think for the first uh, for the first few months anyway, it was more like going there for flying lessons because I certainly found myself flying off the backs of horses <laughs> over the tracks. And, uh, I actually lost about seven kilos in the first eight weeks I was there. And that wasn't because you were dieting? That was because no, no, of the no, work no. you were doing? That was because of the work I was doing, yes. I definitely wasn't wow. dieting. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So anyway, so that was um, – and all I wanted to do then, my goal then was to be able to get on any horse and do exactly what the trainer had asked me to do, as in pace and what have you. That's what I wanted to be able to do was to be proficient at riding work and have my, the clock in my head working really well. So that's all I wanted to do. So I, I, I did get to do that. And after, you know, probably 12 to 14 months, I was, I was in the middle of the track at Randwick and someone asked me if I was a lady jockey. And I thought, oh, lady jockeys, what are they? How do you get to be one of them? If this person thought I was one, maybe I could be one. So I found out about that. And I did become one. This is before females were allowed to be fully licensed jockeys. So I did become a lady jockey and used to, you know, go around the country in a little little plane and go and ride in one race at a race meeting that was specifically for lady riders. So that was all good fun. How hard was it to become a lady rider, a lady jockey? A lady jockey. To become a lady jockey, I'm just trying to think what you had to do. You had to ride in trials. You had to be riding 
I think you had to be riding for a trainer. So if you were riding for a good trainer, it stood you in far better stead than if you were riding, you know, out in the country. It was always easier for any girls aspiring to do any of this if they rode in the city mm. than, than in the country. To be a lady jockey, I don't think one had to do an awful lot, but certainly, of course, when it came to actually racing as a lady jockey, you know, you had to have, that's where you got your form on the board. So when, shortly after that, they did open it up, the AJC opened it up, and Linda Jones from New Zealand, who was a New Zealand jockey, had come over here to ride in the carnival. So because at that stage, ladies were allowed to ride as fully licensed jockeys in New Zealand. So, of course, she came over with horses for a carnival. So she really led the way and was very forceful. The whole stable was very forceful and saying, well, you know, she's our jockey and she's going to ride here. So she rode, you know, with a special, with some sort of special pass to ride. But, of course, that's really what started. And with them pushing, that's what made the AJC start to turn around and say, okay, so women can apply for full licences. Fantastic. And how early were you in the lady jockey? Were you the first? No, I wasn't the first. Certainly Linda Jones was granted an Australian licence, the New Zealand jockey. And then Pam O'Neill from Queensland, who'd been riding, certainly riding for a husband trainer for for a long time. And she'd been a lady jockey for a long time too. She got her licence very quickly and then I think I was probably the third because you know as I say I was lucky to be in the city riding for the likes of TJ Smith and I rode for Neville Begg so I rode for very good trainers and they put horses into trials for me to ride because that's what you had to do you had to you had to have stewards passes that you'd ridden in ridden and and in 10 good trials as well as your medical and all the other sort of stuff that you have to do but certainly the trials were the ones uh, that was very difficult for for girls in the country because you they made it that you could only ride in trials in, on two of the city tracks so country trials weren't weren't counted so they didn't make it easy <laughs> Yeah, and and you know you've got the AJC saying you know we'll accept this, but we'll do it begrudgingly. But what about all the other jockeys? What about the male jockeys? What was it like walking into that world? Certainly, when I when I did get my license, and I was still at Randwick, when I was still at Randwick, uh, certainly some of the top jockeys there, who of course I'd been riding alongside, riding work and riding gallops for for you know quite a few years then, so they were actually brilliant you know they gave me very quick lessons about don't think riding work or riding in trials it prepares you fully for race riding because it really is quite different of course this is the serious end of the business so they were they were brilliant they they gave me lots of tips and things you know things what to do and what not to do and not to be bluffed out of things and they gave me they gave me a lot of knowledge so armed with that knowledge I was offered a stable jockey's job in Rockhampton and I certainly knew I was never going to get enough rides in the city to get the experience to know whether I was ever going to be any good or not. So I packed my bags and went north. How did that go for you? (laughs) 
Well, it ended up very well. It ended up very well. It was a bumpy ride, let's say. It was, it was a very bumpy... It, look, it was, it was an easy ride to start with. It became a bumpy ride when I rode 13 winners in five weeks. That's when it started to get bumpy. So, yeah, there were lots of good lessons. And it's, you know, it, it still wasn't easy to, to get on outside horses. Um, and luckily, I was very lucky that I was light. You know, so that really played well in my favour because often with open company horses, um, there were only there were only three jockeys that could ride the minimum weight of forty eight kilos, and I was one of them. What's that? An open company horse? Uh, yeah, an open company horse is is you know your highest class horse. Ah. So usually at every race meeting, you, you know you have you have one open company race, so it's you know it's your highest class horse. Yeah, they've already won a number of races. Yeah, and from the side of a track or from the TV, it all looks pretty easy. How hard is it once you're out there? And again, riding track is very different to riding in a race. What's it like? How much uh, how much bump and argy bargy is there out there for space? Well, look, you know, I'm going back. I'm going back quite a few years. So when I was riding, <laughs> when I was riding, there were only cameras that 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 actually recorded certain parts of the track. They didn't record. They didn't record all of the track. And everybody knew exactly where the cameras started and stopped. Yeah, so if there were any lessons to be taught or if anybody was going to be bluffed out of something or if anybody was going to get a good knock or anything like that, they usually happened in, in the areas where we couldn't all be sitting in the steward's room looking at the recording later on. So, yeah, look, I mean, it's... Um, it was very physical, not just about riding a horse and getting around. Not for the faint-hearted. Um, you had to be very, very fit. You had, And, of course, as jockeys, you still do have to be very, very fit and working at your fitness. You've got to have really good timing. Uh, you've got to know your horse. You should have studied the field and know how every other horse in the race runs so you know not to be in, behind the wrong horse and all those sort of things. There's an awful lot to it. Yeah, it's not just you don't just get out there and, uh, you know, everybody go as fast as they can to get to the finish line. It's, it's, there's a lot more to it than, than it appears to be for sure. Mm. As I say, I had, I had a bumpy ride. But then, you know, inevitably things things sort of level out once you've been there for quite some time and you have fairly full acceptance, you know, with you with your peers. So, yes, it ended up like that. It helped me that I that I I mean, everybody knew that I'd come from the breakers and everybody knew that I'd get on anything. So, you know, it was it was certainly not a place for the faint-hearted. And to look to be quite honest, up to you know. You, it's something you have to be absolutely passionate about and probably have a fair streak of, of madness in my situation to um, to be doing what I was doing at the time, you know. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Hmm. And what's the biggest lesson you think racing gave you? What's one thing that you really took out of it for life? Whew. Don't be faint-hearted. No, if you you know if you've got a goal and you're on a mission, regardless of what happens to you and the amount of times you get put down and you think you're no good and what have you, just keep getting back up there and get out there and try again. And of course, working you know working with horses and riding with horses 
certainly I didn't ride like most of the other jockeys rode. I had a different relationship with, with every horse that I got on, you know, and I really think that stood me in good stead. Really, initially, to put me on the map, it was the older, older, isn't that terrible, four-year-old, you call race horses at four-year-old are sort of called old horses. So four-year-old stallions really put me on the map, you know, they... Um, sort of I'd inevitably get on get on them because they had a light weight and they'd already probably been quite good horses as a younger horse and just absolutely had enough of it and they'd had enough of being flogged and what have you so so yeah for me I was able to connect with those horses and and you know and we made it an enjoyable outing so you know I'd sing to them and all sorts and tell them how great they were and they're pretty invincible and those horses those horses will just always travel for you you know so they'll just they'll just give you their all and you you, you haven't hit them you've just you've just asked them to to motor when you when you want to you know get all the cylinders out and going and and they'll do that for you again and again so that is what happened it was actually stallions who top company stallions who wouldn't actually they wouldn't actually run for anybody else so they put me on the map. Fantastic. So they also let me know, you know, you actually didn't have to flog horses to to, to get the best out of them. You know, they've, they let me know that they've really got to enjoy what they're doing to be consistent. And that's the same for any sort of discipline. Yeah. And any sort of creature. Yeah. Yeah. Us as well. Yeah. Fantastic. How long were you a jockey? Uh, oh, only about seven or eight years. Hmm. That's long enough. That's a whole cycle. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, yeah. And, and as I said, I, got to, I did get to a stage where certainly I knew I'd gone as far as I could where I was, but also the shine was wearing off. And I was just so aware of so many horses I'd come across that regardless of the best veterinary attention, bloods and whatever you know so many horses that clearly just weren't writing themselves that nobody had the answer for certainly I decided that it was it, it was time for me to to look about and see how I could give something back to the horses because they'd been really good to me and find some way that I could broaden the treatment toolbox because there were so many good horses that just had, had gone wrong somewhere and nobody could find the reason why. So initially, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to broaden the toolbox. And of course, whilst I'd been riding, I had plenty of smashes and bashes. And I had a really good chiropractor who also gave me herbs. So, and I was always back in the saddle in super quick time. You know, my healing recovery time was was appeared to be far less than most other jockeys. So... Um, so that's what set me, sent me back to Sydney, back to school, uh, and two and a half years studying classical herbal medicine for humans. I studied this for humans. There weren't any, no one was treating horses with herbal medicine at this time. So this is why I studied classical herbal medicine for humans. And then, of course, I continued postgraduate study. Yeah, and, and actually started my practice uh, treating treating humans and horses for the first 12 years I was in practice. So you trained, I believe, with Dorothy Hall. Yes, that's right. She gave me a wonderful base. And so, again, I've been blessed in my life. I was so blessed that I actually had Dorothy as my initial teacher because... And of course, at the time, I didn't realize how much she differed from all other teachings at the time. 
she taught in energies, shapes, you know, just because chamomile has this and that in it, it's going to do this and that in the body. She didn't teach like that, you know. She taught in the way that if you had 10 people lined up who all had a headache, all of those people would receive different treatments if you were really going to, to get to the bottom of the reason why they've got their headache. You know, it's not just, she used to treat the whole body and not just the symptom presenting. And of course, if you can get to the core of the problems, then all the symptoms fall down. So she was the only person that was teaching in that way. So I was incredibly lucky to do all my base training there with her. And of course, since then, I've done, you know, masses of postgraduate courses. And of course, I, you know, we do have to do continued professional education every year. So uh, there's been a lot of postgrad stuff, but I, am, I was just really blessed to do my base training with Dorothy. Mm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but something from my understanding of Dorothy Hall's practices as well is that she doesn't go in and, and flood a system to heal it. She puts in a, a drop dosage to allow the body to, to start a process to heal itself. Am I correct in that? No, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And of course, since she was my original initial teacher, I didn't realize that everyone else was giving what I regard as huge doses. And uh, But yes, she, Dorothy taught in trigger doses and it's interesting if you look around the world most of the indigenous people of any nation actually use trigger doses and then if you go back to things like british herbal pharmacopoeia which is like a bible for for herbalists all of their doses are you know dorothy's doses are, are drop trigger doses and and british herbal pharmacopoeia you know, or say, well, no, you're just not going to get a result unless you give, you know, say five or 10 mil of something three times a day. So it's been really good. It's It's been really good treating animals. And certainly I can, you know, I recall being in at Sykes's vet at Randwick with a, with a French vet saying, well, of course, everyone knows all of this stuff's a load of rubbish, you know, and it it just doesn't work. And then when you can turn around and say, and, and, and I do recall at the time, I'd actually just I'd treat horses, but I'd actually just treated a bull that was really in trouble. So he was a big Brahmin bull. And I treated him with, with 30 drops three times a day for a string hawk type condition. And he came good in three weeks. So, you know, it's, it's all there. If people care to look, all the evidence is there. There's so much empirical evidence about this. Now, this isn't to say that, you know, trigger dosing is better than, better than large dosing. It's just whatever you do as a practitioner. But personally, you know, my general sort of dose for a horse is a combination of herbs in a fully focused treatment. And that would be five mils twice a day. I've always in my life enjoyed the trigger dose because it feels right to me because it relies on the wisdom of my body. That's right. You've said that very nicely. And that's exactly what happens rather than getting, getting in with a larger dose of herbs, which will take over the physiological process within your body. When you use trigger doses, that's what you're doing. You're triggering particular organs and systems back into, into, being able to work properly for themselves. So this is why I expect when I'm treating horses, I generally treat with two 
seven-week treatments, the second seven-week formula will be different to the first because things will change within that first seven weeks. The second, the second seven weeks is sort of a finishing off of whatever we've been trying to do. And then I'm out of it as far as my herbal medicine goes. You know, there may have been some nutritional changes, but I am out of it as far as medicine goes. And I expect the horse to keep improving, and they do. I've been doing it long enough now. They do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been in business for so long and been so busy. Yeah. So it's wonderful. Yeah. You don't rely on being on a particular substance, you know, all the time. Can you give us a specific case that comes to mind right now where you can speak to that a bit more? Just get in and turn something around. Yeah. A horse that some people will remember was a New Zealand racehorse called Ginga Dude. I can't give you years here. This is this is a few this is quite a few years ago. But he was a New Zealand horse who had already been to Australia once and, and competed quite well. He'd gone back to New Zealand and then he'd come back over to Australia for the carnival and he'd performed poorly. I got a hair sample from that horse and I assessed him and uh, came up with that horse actually had liver insufficiency. The sprays coming, and I find this with, with a, not a lot of international horses, a lot of horses that are flying, they've had so many sprays for varying things as they must have, but actually the chemical or the preservative in, the, in, the, in those chemicals has actually left the liver just a bit below par, you know, not enough to show up in the blood, but it's definitely below par. And in a racehorse, you know, that can mean, that can mean anything from five to, five to eight lengths. Yeah. So I treated him and... He just came back onto his game really, really quickly and he went on to win. Uh, he won a group two in Melbourne and then he ran third in the McKinnon Stakes, which is a group one. You know, he did, he did incredibly well. So that was a good quick turnaround. Yeah, so then, look, I mean, I've got about 15, I'd have over 15,000 case histories, Tracy. So it's definitely evidence-based. Yes, yes, because I have all the data. I have all the case histories. I have, as I say, I have at least 15,000 case histories. So, and a lot of these horses, you know, I have, I, I do have stables that have been with me for 15, 20 years. So, of course, it's, it's wonderful for me because I do have competition horses that, you know, I've probably seen and hair assessed you know, say, say 10 years ago, what have you, and we've got everything, got the core of their problems sorted out. And I don't expect those to return because you've facilitated a real shift, you know, that's moved through and gone. So with those horses, I don't expect to see those horses back. I don't expect to hear about them again till the wheels dropped off somewhere else because inevitably, you know, they're competition horses. We, we all um, suffer from varying things over, over the course of our lives. So, you know, so then I may get them back then and usually you can put them back together really, really quickly and, and you know, and they go on and continue to do, to do what they're doing. So, yeah, for me it's very nice because I do have some very long-term relationships with, with quite a number of horses who I actually haven't ever seen because I've been using hair, hair assessment. Um, I'll put that out into practice in 1998. This episode is brought to you by The Natural Horse Spray. Are you inundated with flies and biting insects? Does your horse suffer from Queensland itch? If so, head on over to 
to EdenRiverEquestrian.com to purchase your horse some natural and ethical relief from biting insects and itch. There are two blends there to choose from. The Kiowa blend is for insect repelling and the Gypsy blend may heal Queensland or Sweet Itch on your horse and will also repel insects. That's EdenRiverEquestrian.com and if you use the code Come Along for the Ride, that's all lowercase and one word, Come Along for the Ride, you will receive 15% off your order. And tell me a little bit more about that. Is that your diagnosis tool? Yes, that's certainly, certainly when people send me hair, I ask them to send, you know, whatever the problem is. If the vet's seen a, seen a horse, I want to know what they've had to say about it and what have you. But, and I take all of this into account. But this form of assessment that, that I evolved over, I worked on and developed for seven years before I put it into practice, that came about because I, I realised I really needed to to find a way of working with horses and not actually see them. Prior to that, prior to being able to do that, I used to, you know, go and see a horse and use a human to muscle test. Is that kinesiology muscle test? That's that. Yeah, that's just using an indicator muscle as as a tool for asking questions. So you know, you ask a yes no question, and the muscle will go weak if if you've primed it into be a yes or a no answer. Mm, so because it's really hard, um, horses aren't speaking with words. You know, so you have to find a language where you can hear what it is that they're trying to tell you. Well, that's right. And, and also, of course, you know, I've realized over the years, often, often the energy that I'm accessing when I'm working with my hair assessment is actually the horse's higher self. I mean, horses are just like us, you know, they can say, yes, I've got a pain in the tummy. But if you can access the higher self, you can actually get into that much deeper reasoning as to perhaps why you have that pain in the tummy. And that's not something that you can put into a machine and get a feedback from. No, what you can put into a machine is, yes, I've got a pain in the tummy. That's what you can get out. That's what you can get out of the machine. And certainly machines are used with hair assessment now. Since since I bought my hair assessment system out into practice in 1998, I mean, there weren't people weren't working in that way then. Now, of course, there's an absolute plethora of all sorts of hair testing techniques and what have you. So there's mineral analysis, which is quite a different thing. I just think it's very hard for the, for the owner, for the trainer, because unfortunately, I should have called my system something else because, you know, hair testing has been used as a blanket term. Uh, and it's really unfortunate because it's a blanket term for so many different techniques and that's really confusing for the owner trainer to know what they're going to get you know so my hair assessment as I say I worked on it seven years before I put it out into practice and of course since since I've been doing it, it the horses have then been teaching me so it's a continual learning process and I really try not to miss anything with my process so with my process I rate all the organs and systems within the horse. I rate the joints. I rate all the feeds and supplements the horse is eating because what suits one horse may not suit another. They're just like us in that. So, of course, that brought up things like some horses are wheat intolerant and that makes a huge difference on, can make a huge difference on temperament, performance, all of those sort of things, just like people who have a wheat or a gluten intolerance. So, so that's a big thing. And of course, there's an awful lot of wheat. We're a big wheat growing country, you know, so there's wheat in 
unfortunately, in nearly all horse feeds. Um, but, you know, you can expect a huge change in your horse within 10 days. If, if they have a problem with wheat, you know, within 10 days of taking the wheat out, you're going to have a different horse. So I do that. I do within the hair assessment, I do energy ratings on physical get the horse to rate their physical energy, their emotional energy, get them to rate their environment, get them to rate their rider, get them to rate their handler and get them to rate the discipline that they're being asked to do. Because as you'll understand, you know, if you've got a horse that's come in as a, you know, they've told me that the discipline is dressage and it really just doesn't have the heart for dressage. It doesn't want to know about it. It'll rate that discipline poorly, all right, on a scale of 0 to 10. So it'll rate that discipline poorly. And really, there's no point in trying to put a square peg into a round hole, you know. So this is all quite important stuff. So it does give the owner-trainer a lot of information. For instance, you know, as far as the rider goes, you know, hey, maybe this horse's problem isn't all, isn't all the horse's problem. Perhaps it's the rider. So what's going on there? So, you know, if the rider's rated sort of just pretty average or poorly, that's when I extrapolate out and see if the horse finds the rider calm, clear and consistent. And if they don't, well, then when we have the phone consultation, we need to talk about that and see where the rider's up to and see if the rider's got a good coach or, you know, just working towards trying to make things easier for everyone so so they've got healthy, happier horses. Because if a horse isn't balanced mentally, there's no way in the world they're going to be happy in their work or consistently give their best. Whilst this might all sound a bit airy fairy this talking with the higher self i have my own personal story from working with you angela many years ago when we first came into contact i had a horse that i was doing equine therapy with and and he had i can't remember the exact injury it was in a joint anyway and you know it was he would never ride again and all these symptoms that that kept coming and so i sent some hair off to you for a test but what i found out that was actually more important than the injury, more important than the feed. Um, he loved the line of work he was doing. Everything like that was okay. Was that he'd felt a lot of grief from a horse that he'd been taken away from that was a really good friend of his years before. Now, once I then spoke to the previous owner that had the horse before me and we were able to actually show that, yes, this had happened because I couldn't confirm that. I didn't know if that had happened or not happened. So... You know, not only was there a list of things to do physically, um, herbs to take, there was nutritional things to do, but there was also this emotional aspect that we needed to deal with. And once I spoke to the previous donor and she was able to tell me, yeah, he did. He had this paddock mate and that mate was taken away because we were both adjusting together and he never saw him again. And he's never really been right since. Yeah. And so it was such a key part of that treatment was understanding that and then understanding because he was a horse who was then had another paddock mate and there was every possibility that I was going to take him away from that paddock mate um, once I'd finished working there and as it happened he actually stayed on with his paddock mate which was the best thing for him in the long run for him to continue to have a happy and balanced life along with nutrition herbs and those kinds of things so sure. that's just talking straight to what it is that you do and people think oh airy fairy talking to higher self it's it's really about 
when you talk to any good nutritionist and herbalist as a human, you go into the emotional aspects and, and you seem to have found a way and a process where you can link into that with horses. You know, that's what holistic means to me. Yes. Well, certainly I'm always looking for the core of the problem. And of course, the core, the core, of course, you know, will have physical components, but certainly it's going to have emotional, mental components as well, most definitely. And, you know, I mean, I get all sorts of stories from horses um, and some very sad stories. Uh, but, you know, if you can help them, and it's usually the, the, it's usually the smart horses that, that carry this stuff, you know, the horses that aren't quite as smart have sort of just switched themselves off and they don't seem to be quite so affected by things. But it's usually the really smart horses that, that really carry old grief or old pain or, or whatever it may be or an old incident, an old fear, you know. There's an awful lot of fear aspects and, and what have you. So as, you know, coming up with the focus formulas that I do and the treatment plans for these horses, certainly they test out for the herbal formula that they need, so the combination of herbs. And also the flower remedies, you know, in any one hair assessment, I'm, I'm actually testing um, over 100 flower remedies, uh, which, of course, are dealing, dealing much more so with the emotional balance. So we're always looking at emotional balance as well as physical balance because it is so important. But also things like another little quick story. I remember, I won't use this horse's real name because I know it's fine to use Ginga Dude's name, but I'll call this, this horse Lively Lass. I had this trotter from a father and son trainer in the country and th th this mare had ability and they were having such a hard time with her. When I did her hair, I knew she was giving them such a hard time. She was, um, she was nervous. She'd jump all over them. She was her nervous system was was hitting the hitting the very top of the scale of being out of balance. So she, you know, she was sweaty and she'd be charging and barging. And of course, because she did all of that, she she wasn't doing well on the on the racetrack at all. And in the course of doing her hair, you know, once we got to the emotional areas, well, there was all sorts unfolded there. So, so of course, it turned out I knew she'd been giving these, these, these men such a hard time. I knew they were really swearing at her and cursing her and everything else and what have you. So in the course of our phone consultation, I said, okay, you know, I, I, I can do 50% here because you can only ever do 50%. The rest's up to the, the body and the, and the owners and, and the trainers and the actual animal's body itself. You can, you can, you know, help it. And then the healing comes from within, uh, in all of us. I said, these guys, okay, you know, I can do all of this, but, but what you really need to do, because it's not going to work if you don't do this, uh, you know, I said before you, when you go to the stables every morning, I want you to go around behind the stables and stand there and work on your breathing. Both of you just shut your eyes. I don't care if you feel like you're being stupid. Just shut your eyes and I want you to take 10 really deep breaths and just balance yourselves. Then I want you to go around the corner and tell Lively Lash she's the best looking horse they've ever seen and how wonderful she is. And even if you feel like she's driving you around the bend, no harshness in your voice, no harsh words. 
just keep telling her how lovely she is and how smashing it is to have her in the stable. I said, you'll find in combination with what I am sending you to give to her, she'll just turn around and they couldn't believe it. They could, they called me back about five weeks later when she wasn't even finished her first seven weeks and just said, uh, yeah, they did think I was off with the fairies, but the thought they'd better do it anyway. <laughs> They'd done that, and um, she'd just done a huge turnaround. She she won three races in a row. They took her to town, and she won in town. You know, it was just a lovely story. But wow, you know, that's the that's the power of the voice and the intonation and what have you. And people need to realise these things. That's fantastic. You know? all, all sensitive beings. So, yeah, I enjoy, I really enjoy being able to, a lot of horses I really feel like I really get to know doing the hair assessment because, you know, I know if they're feeling, if they're feeling vague fears or definite fears or, or you know, if they need some courage or or they're missing someone or as in the case with, with your horse, um, you know, they were missing someone and sometimes horses are worried about other horses or they're worried about their ownness so then you have to, just let the owners know that your horse is worried about you. Is there something you need to go and see about? You know, and inevitably there is, Tracy. Wow. It's smashing work. You know, I feel what I'm doing now is the culmination of, of, of my life's work. And I'm quite honoured to do it. And I've got, you know, I've, I've got lots of absolutely lovely, lovely results. So, you know, that's what you do it for. You just try and move things along. So... There's an enormous amount of things you can do you can do with herbs, you know. I've I've had I've had horses and people with with infection in the bone. I have a formula called Bugbuster, which is my old infection mix, which my sister got from me to treat her to give to her accountant who'd been told by two specialists that he had to have his leg amputated, the infection they'd been treating the infection in the bone for over a year with antibiotics to no results. And of course, I, I just said to Wendy, oh, give him Bugbuster, what have you got to lose, for goodness sake, yes. you know, before they chop his leg off. And I was actually in UK when I got a really excited message from the sister saying his leg had, his leg had reduced in size and the pain had gone from eight down to a three within um, a week of taking Bugbuster. So that guy continued on with that treatment and, you know, this is now oh, two years later or something and he... You know, he still has his leg. Um, so you can do wonderful. You can do wonderful things with with herbs, but also you can work in conjunction with vets. Um, you know, th th there's no problems. Often you can use herbs in a complementary role to uh, support the horse's system while whilst the vet's treating them. So this definitely isn't a an either or. Like you either go to the vets or you go to a herbalist. Not at all. You know, there's no reason why we shouldn't all be working together. Often it's a combination of treatments that's going to have, as long as it has the best, the the best end game for the horse. That's that's really what you're looking at. You know. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of vets out there who would give their left hand for the information that you're able to obtain. Because there's so many times where you're doing all this testing with vets and you just don't feel like you're getting the right answer. Well, no, and they can be scratching their heads as well. So it's so. That's it's what I mean. The, the yeah. vets themselves are scratching their heads yeah. saying, what am I missing? Because all, I've done the testing I can and I still don't have the, the answer. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great with the vets who are, who are open 
and interested because we can share information and certainly I do have that that sort of relationship with with some vet so so that's jolly good there was another there was another trotter years ago he was a, he was an absolutely incredible horse he was a trotter called rebel I'd already hair assessed him when they um, they couldn't clear up he had an unresolved respiratory problem and the vets had been treating him and it just it just wasn't resolving you know I mean Tracy we are in the age of over medication and of course antibiotics just aren't nearly as effective as they used to be so it's everyone's concerned you know mm. So this horse had been treated for quite some time for the respiratory issue. This is what how someone had heard of me and, and I received his hair. So I worked with him then and, and, you know, we fixed that up. He went back to racing and, and all was good. And then later in his career, a, a, a dog bit him. And unfortunately, the vet wasn't called early enough. Uh, so by the time the vet, the vet was called, they thought they, you know, the trainers thought they they had it under control. So by the time the vet was called, that vet then sent the horse straight to a specialist at Scone Vet. And the horse had an infection in the bone. They did a great job. The Scone, Scone Veterinary Practice there did a fabulous job of, of scraping and resecting connective tissue and all sorts of things. They did a fabulous job. But... Unfortunately, he did get an infection in the bone, which is every vet's worst nightmare. And the horse's system wasn't coping. You know, the horse who'd been such a plucky horse just went into, I just don't want to be here anymore. You know, he's, he didn't want to eat anymore. He's, you know, the antibiotics were affecting his gut. They, it, was, it just wasn't working. And it was so bad, they, they, as I say, they did a great job and they were really trying the best that they advised euthanasia because they couldn't see um, any sort of good outcome for this horse. Luckily, the horse had wonderful owners and one of them was a vet nurse. And so they were allowed to take the horse home and they were, they were absolutely brilliant. So certainly we again used the infection formula bug buster also with hair assessing and supporting the systems that had been so knocked around whilst he'd been sick and this was really long-term treatment this wasn't the usual you know in with 14 weeks of treatment and you're right but this this had been an incredibly chronic very serious condition so this was long-term treatment on and off and do you know what? Miraculously, almost two years later, after sending the horse back to the vets to get scanned to see how everything was looking, and he was just bouncing out of his socks in the paddock and, and you know, just saying, I want to do something, I really want to do something. Almost two years later, the uh, wonderful spunky rebel started, started in a race and won it, you know? And I mean, that in veterinary history, is just not heard of. I mean, it doesn't wow. happen. So, you know, that's where you can combine really well. It never has to be an either or. And, you know, you would hope that from the vet's standpoint as well, that they're just wanting the best for the horse. You know, we all, the owners, yourself, the vets, hopefully we're all just wanting the very best for that horse. And if that means using complementary as well as veterinary, it doesn't mean one's better than the other. It's called complementary for a reason. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I can understand from a vet's perspective because... I hate to say it, Tracy. There's so many people out there calling themselves calling themselves this and that, mm. you know. So they're calling themselves herbalists. So all it takes is one poor experience from a vet by somebody who's pertained to know what they're talking about, 
and then of course we're all going to be we're all going to be tarred with the same brush and this this happens this happens frequently is there any regulation in australia around herbalism or equine work there are associations that one should be affiliated to there are and, and to be affiliated what are they called? to those associations, you've had to have gone through some formal academic training. Okay, so certainly there's ATMS. Actually, that's for a human qualification. And so the human qualification is still different to the equine qualification? Yes, certainly you have to have done an awful lot more to have a qualification to treat humans, yes. How long is the course for horses? Well, it depends. Yeah, well, that's where we're at today. You know, that there are a couple of, of places teaching courses. There's, you know, there's, there's a couple of reasonable courses that, you know, they're, they're usually, of course, like most things now, they're, they're online and over a period of time. So, so certainly, and people would get, you know, I think there's Australian qualification framework, you know, say Cert 4 or something like that. You know, perhaps you get that qualification at the end of it. So there are a couple of courses like that. So that at least, you know, that certainly lets you know that the person has been through some formal education that's been accredited with, say, the Australian Qualification Framework or the, also an association which is H-A-T-O, that's a Holistic Animal Therapy Organisation, Anyone that can, you know, anyone that's accredited with them, you know, they've gone through some formal qualifications. This isn't say qualifications are the be all and end all, Tracy, but it does at least let you know that that person has been through a reasonable level of formal education to, to be able to be qualified enough to be under that association's umbrella. So it is difficult. So for anybody looking for anybody, they certainly need to know where the person's actually got their experience from, because of course there's still there's still people doing you know doing a few days here and there of you know a few workshops and and they'll you know they'll put up their shingle and what have you. And of course this happens in everything. Uh, it does, and it's it's there's a big difference for studying for two and a half years to doing a weekend workshop. So we really just have to be um, vigilant and do our due diligence as horse owners and really look into people. Yeah, and look, you know, word of mouth's really good as well. You know, word of mouth's really good because look, I I mean, I feel quite ancient these days because I've seen so many people come and go mm. in the time that I've been practicing. So. I find there are a lot of people who talk very well, but when it comes to actually doing the work, the work's actually not quite as good. So this is where word of mouth, you know, really, really is excellent because the people will certainly let you know if they found that someone, someone does a good job or they've worked for them and done a poor job. And yes, exactly. Evidence-based, again, as we were speaking about before, if you've got a, a yeah. direct case of how long it's taken, what... What a herbalist has been able to do, the results that you've got yeah. from it and how long that's taken. Yeah, but also, you know, ask your practitioner questions. Ask them if they've got insurance for what they're doing, you know. Ask them questions where they, you know, where they did their training, who they did their training with and all those sort of things, you know. Don't, don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, that's really important because if anyone doesn't yeah. want to answer questions, it, it's not somebody that you want to be putting your horse's health in their hands, that's for sure. No. So if you do if you do both of that, ask questions and and um, and use word of mouth, or you know just need to to really ask around. Mm. Yeah. 
most definitely. And because you do a hair test, you can treat horses from all over the world. Is that correct? Yes, I do. That's the, that's the wonderful thing. You know, that's why I had to bring this into being. And now, of course, I find the way I'm working now is far more thorough than, than you know, when I just used to muscle test and what have you, because my assessment process is extensive, you know, an initial hair test can take me anywhere from one and a half to three hours. So because I really try not to miss anything. So yeah, I treat horses in, in uh, certainly in England, in, in Ireland. I had a big stable in Ireland before their financial crash, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah, horses, horses all over the world, but certainly all over Australia. Yeah. And New Zealand. Yeah. Because the process of the hair test is that you take a, a swatch of the mane that's about a thumb size and send it in an envelope with with some yeah. um, with some questions that you have and you answer the questions. So it really can be done by anyone anywhere. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I find now I have people who I regard as really old friends because I've been working with them. I have a few big stables, professional stables, that just send a hair for as soon as a horse comes in. They just send a hair in and they just find that really useful because they know what the horse should and shouldn't eat. You know, they can get their diet out of that. They know they know if the horse is holding any any um, problems. If, you know, if they're riding a joint a bit poorly, they know they'll really be taking note of that area and doing some preventative stuff there. So they do all those sort of things. And if there's anything to clean up, you know, we treat them and clean them up. So then it's, you know, they're working with a much cleaner sheet. They're, they're not bringing the problems there. So I have lots of people that I, that I do spend time with um, on the phone, you know, over the years and having worked on, on a number of horses with them that I really regard them as old friends. And you know, it's always funny going to Equitana or somewhere because you meet people that you've been talking to for years and years and years and years, and then you actually get to meet them. So that's lovely. Yes. But I have lots of, lots of people I regard as friends as well as clients who, who I've never actually met face to face. Mm. Yeah. And all those horses as well. Oh yeah. And look, it just gives me, it gives me great joy to see any of my clients really, really going well and getting to the top of the game. Shanann Goodwin's just about to go back down to Melbourne. She's uh, sitting in the, what is she now? She's on the shortlist for the Australian team to go to America later this year. This is with dressage. uh, And she's just done an absolutely incredible job with her with her horse taking her first horse right through to the top level of dressage and I sponsor Shanann. I've been doing all the body work and all the hair assessment and just really doing ev- absolutely everything that that I can do to make sure Astro's just on top of his game and certainly this is proving to be to be so you know he's just being so consistent He's so enjoying the work that they're doing. He keeps stepping up. He's pretty darn amazing. So, you know, any any little wheel that drops off, um, I pick that up and we can just get him get him sorted and back on track really, really quickly. So it's lovely work. It's lovely mm-hmm. work. And it's the results that that really keep me going. You know, I really get off on (laughs) on facilitating a good shift and and getting some good results because it's all about as I say your horse being as healthy and happy as it can be you know is there any limit to the type of horse that you can treat is there any horse that Mm. can't get this kind of treatment from you no 
But I do always ask permission at the beginning of a hair assessment. I do always ask permission before I start. I ask permission to test it and also ask if I can help it. Has anyone said no? Uh, yeah, I had one just recently. Yeah, I had a gallop wow. recently who was really unwell. The vets had been treating him um, for three or four months. The horse was toxic. And yeah, when I asked that question as to whether I could do a hair assessment and whether I could help him, I got no. So all I did was give the people support. And he looked like it was actually, you know, I mean, I'd been looking up and sort of in there, you know, helping where, where I could, just with knowledge, just with mm. knowledge, but but not with not with having done any testing. And the horse... The horse was very definite in all this trace. Horses, any anything that I think isn't long for this life, I carry the hair around because I could be anywhere where I need to just have a little chat. Mm. And I carried his hair around and he was just so specific. He appeared to be, he appeared to be coming good, but he actually said he wasn't going to be here much longer. But he was really enjoying um, the pain. The pa his pain level was handleable at the time, and he was really enjoying the love that he was getting from the from the from the trainer, and the time that was being spent with him. He was really enjoying that, and he actually said which day he thought he'd be going. And in fact, when we got, and that was only four days away, you know, after he'd said, no, I couldn't, oh, there's no point in hair testing him, you know. Mm. He didn't go on that day. He didn't go on that day. He'd certainly been looking like he was coming good. And then, hey, ho, Tracy, just absolutely diabolical. They got on to me that night and he had just got the worst colic. Ah. So, you know, it was just, oh, yeah. Mm. Just, just so, so, yeah, so, and certainly he said, certainly then he was, he was definitely ready to go, but he was very specific about, yep, yeah, I'm not going to be here too long, but I want to, I want to stay here for the minute because I'm really enjoying having this time, you know, and feeling the love essentially, Tracy. Mm, as most people yeah. do at that, that time. Yeah. Yeah. So the only other, and certainly I've had a few in my time that say, no, I can't help them. And that's when I ask those questions as to, are you going to be in this body for very long? D you know, do you need to leave this body behind? Is it your time to go? Do you want help to go? Ask all those sort of questions. I'll get really definite things. Mm. Wow. What a privilege. Yeah. So other than asking them yes or no, there's no discipline, no type of horse that you can't work with? No. Great. No. You said earlier that you transitioned out of jockeys, um, out yeah. of being a jockey, into this body therapy and herbalism because you wanted to give back to horses. Do you feel like you've achieved that? Yeah, to a lot. Look, I've got photos. I had an apprentice that, that just kept putting the photos <laughs> all around the wall in the clinic. Yeah, so, so certainly some days when I do think I'm going absolutely mad, I'll just look at those walls. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. But there's always more. What I'm really looking to do now, because I've been doing this for so long, I mean, I've been doing this for about 30 years now. Mm -hmm. So what I'm really looking to do now is to just make sure 
as much of the knowledge that I have and the experience that I've gained through the horses over these years, I really want to make sure that it's passed on. I'd like people to be able to have access to this knowledge and use it in whichever way and just, you know, keep growing on it, keep growing on that base. Anyone out there who's a passionate horse herbalist who really wants to learn the trade should get in touch. Yeah, anybody that wants to sort of step up and just go that bit deeper because essentially that's what it's about. Mm, True holistic practice. Going deeper, not just treating what you see on the surface and facilitating real shift. So that's, that's certainly what it's all about, yeah. And you're called The Horse Herbalist. How can people find you? Website, thehorseherbalist.com. Great. Are you on social media at all? Uh, yes, Facebook. <laughs> not terribly good at Facebook, but yes, Facebook. I will get better. And I've got a blog on the on the website. Fantastic. And you've got products for sale on your website as well, don't you? I do. It took me a long time to put any sort of products together because they're always so general. Mm. Um, and I do believe, you know, what suits one doesn't suit another. But certainly patterns and shapes evolved over the years of treating horses. So, yeah, I've got some, I've got some lovely formulas that have probably been in being people pointed out to me that, you know, I'd actually had my infection mix for, yeah, well, gosh, 30 years now. That's, that's how long ago I formulated that. And it saved so many, so many horses and dogs and, and goodness knows what else. And the human leg. The human leg. And actually it came into being because my partner had septicemia. So Mm. that's where it started. It saved, it saved him, which is very important. So, yes, so Bugbusters out there online. Uh, I have another formula called Settle Petal, and that's sort of fairly self-explicit, you know. So many horses just have autonomic nervous system imbalance, as do a lot of people, you know. So, if, of course, as soon as you're anxious, you as the rider, you're going to be tight. You're, you're going to be tight in yourself, so that's going to affect your horse, who then goes, oh, my gosh, there's something wrong here. So they become tight as well. So... It's just a lovely way of just helping to balance the autonomic nervous system. So, certainly. Mm, and that's a really important point that because you use human grade mm. herbs, both horse and rider could. Oh, take well, that. yes. And often that is the thing, you know, it's all right. Who's nervous here, folks? You know, is it, mm. is it, is it the horse or how are you feeling? You know, all my formulas uh, that I have online are certainly equally for humans as well. Except my willy wash, we yes, we just don't buy that for horses. Although the the willy wash is a wonderful skin conditioner, so so yes, I do have um, you know I do have people that actually use it on their skin for um, you know things like eczema and dermatitis, just to to yeah, and it does that quite nicely too. Certainly, as I say, all the, all the other formulas on there, yeah, are equally for humans as well. And, you know, of course, contraindications and drug interactions and all of that sort of thing, I very definitely looked looked into and, you know, been very careful about actually what is in the formulas and what have you. For instance, Bug Buster, you, if, if someone was taking blood thinners, well, then you would really... Um, yeah, you'd get in touch if you were taking blood thinners to see to see what to do because certainly it contains garlic, which which does thin the blood over time. Yeah, so no contraindications on anything else that I have on online. Yeah, so I do have a book that I thought I'd be able to write in five minutes, but in actual fact, it took me five years to put together and get out. 
Flower remedies for horses, pets and people because we do all have emotions and certainly when we're in the negative, we shouldn't be making any decisions, any big decisions in life and it's not very comfortable. So whilst we as humans know we can feel like that, most certainly all other sentient beings, all other feeling beings also have these same imbalances from time to time. So we all need a little help from, from them now and then. So... Flower Remedies, certainly, I wrote this book after all the years of experience I have had using them because in every formula I make, there are certainly the appropriate flower remedies for that human, horse, dog, or, or whatever. Um, so I wrote this book to really give the, give the readers the knowledge to safely help others because once the emotional mental state is balanced, then the body finds it much easier to heal. It'll give the reader absolute confidence to be able to access a, a little flower remedy combination and have a play around because the wonderful thing with flower remedies is if you haven't actually quite picked the right ones, it's not going to do any harm anyway. So, you know, it's very, very safe. And this gives you really good working knowledge of the flower remedies, what I've found in practice of, of over 30 years. Great. There's so much great information in there. Wow. Mm. How wonderful. Well, Angela, I personally would like to say thank you so much for everything that you do for horses. The world is certainly a better place because you got on there and saw those gypsies, jumped those horses, yeah. raced those horses and decided it was time to give back. So thanks for all that you do for horses because um, I myself know that two of my horses have benefited a lot from what you do and I know there are thousands of others out there oh look and when i do body work tracy like I did yesterday you know i mean they thank me and it's mm, just lovely it's yeah. brilliant so thank you for all that you do and of course thank you so much for joining me today well thanks very much for having me tracy hope to talk to you again <laughs> i'm sure you will i'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life this is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you, as a subscriber, will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boosts the podcast up. And basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world. You could also share this podcast with a friend. Tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy. All the links you need can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.